Welcome to Clapped, a podcast on all things basketball with a specific emphasis on the NBA. My name is Aryan Valuri and I'm here with Abhirup and Veer. And it's a beautiful day in Bangalore because my Lakers are now 16 and 2. But yeah, without further ado. Today's topics are fairly simple. First one will be Tamelo Anthony and his return to the NBA. Then we'll talk about the stars of the Clippers, Travai Leonard and Paul George finally playing together. Load management and the rookie class. Hi. To start us off with Carmelo's return, how do you guys think he's doing so far? Abiru? So, there have been a lot of mixed uh, opinions on Carmelo's return. Some people believe that he does fit in well with the system, like the way Portland plays. Uh, they're happy with the fact that after a year of absence, he's back and at least he's putting some points down on the floor and, you know, He's giving them some some sort of output. But obviously, today's NBA is a statistical game. And people really don't care if it in much if it looks that good or anything. It just depends on the numbers. And uh, apparently, uh, I came across something that all the critics were going... Were, I mean, sharing about Carmelo's return, which was mainly that Melo's points per play is horrible is absolutely horrible. It's the worst in his career and nobody expected it to be this low. So, I mean, I, I can just like tell you the entire offense of the... It's a, it's a stat sheet. So, on the offense of the Blazers, a Melo's touch had... Uh, Melo touched the ball on 25 possessions and they scored 0.64 points per play. When Melo didn't touch the ball but was on the court, they had 27 possessions. And they had 0.93 points per play. And when he was completely off the floor, they had 63 possessions. And they shot one point per play. That's insane. But, like, the way I look at it, I see Melo has had some really good games. He had that one where he dropped 25 points. And today, against the Oklahoma City Thunder, he um, shot about 82% from the field, dropped um, 19 points. And as usual, his rebounds are getting so good that He's telling Hassan Whiteside to go to the other side of the court because he, he just got it himself. But as far as sustainability goes, I still don't think we have enough data to know whether it's going to keep going. But I think given Portland's situation, they were pretty desperate and they really like had no other choice. All his jerseys are sold out. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I mean, I guess it's just, it's just good to have a Hall of Famer back in the league. Reiterating on what I said, uh, it I according to me, like, I really thought he was doing well. I thought that, you know, obviously, I wasn't thinking about it from an as detailed point of view as everyone else was. But I feel it's a good fit. Uh, He's scoring, like, as far as I've seen, he's not crying for the ball or anything like that. So, as long as he can keep this up, yeah, maintain his fitness and not get injured, he might just have a decent season. It'll be probably, like, one of the last years we'll see Carmelo in this kind of shape, at least, I guess. The dude had a baseline dunk and stuff, so I'm I'm guessing he's in pretty reasonable shape. <laughs> Let's hope he can go on like Vince Carter does. Not happening. Vince Carter's a freak of nature. The dude's in his forties. He's played in like three different decades. That's insane. Next, next, what we want to talk about is how Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are finally playing together, and it's amazing. I actually like it too. I just think they need a bit of work on chemistry. Individually, I think Paul George is just really showing out. He's reminding everyone why he was an MVP candidate last year. And he actually had a very solid case for MVP last year. 
I feel like the Clippers overall though, while they seem to like not be stressing out over the regular season, they don't seem to be like worrying about it too much and they're obviously engaging in load management and stuff. I don't think that the Clippers, to me, are playing as well as I expected them to. Like, they're, they're, they're great. They're blowing out teams occasionally, but they have, um, they have about five losses. And with load management, the record's now getting better. So, obviously, the Clippers front office, they've got something in mind, right? Obviously, you've got such great, you got the best, two of the best two-way players in the world. There's a reason, I guess, they're sitting out. So, I'm not sure exactly from what their tactic is, from what I've seen till now. Like, if you're sitting out games in the start of the season, then they sure as hell have some solid plan in mind for the long run. Because generally, what happens is you sit out towards the end when you've confirmed a top four spot. So, right. you try to like strategically play it to your advantage to get an easy team in the first round playoffs. So, maybe there also you can load manage. I mean, honestly, I'm all for load management because, I mean, they're human beings, obviously. Durability is also a thing. But towards the end of the season, I mean, we just started... As you said, everyone is surprised by their progress. 14-5 and five is, is really not what we expected from them. For me, on the subject of load management, load management is something that really hurts Kawhi's chances of MVP. Or Paul George, for that matter. Whoever you're basically out of. And the thing is, players like Anthony Davis and stuff, they just don't engage in it. Of course, they understand what it's about. Jalen Rose went out and said that he thinks players who load manage should get zero in all stats to incentivize them to not load manage. Of course, I think that's pretty extreme. But at the same no, time, no, no, the fact that sense. it makes I th- sense... I think, I think it does. I think, I think that's uh, an excellent thing to do because you're sitting out at your own peril. And the thing is, no, no nobody likes... I mean, dude, honestly... Durability and all is different. I mean, if you're going to get injured like like a Hayward or like a freak injury or something, if it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. I really don't see how just playing a couple of extra minutes here and there. I mean, obviously, it does help you, but it's not going to save you from like a massive injury that's just like waiting to happen. Like Kemba's injury, that can happen to anyone. Right. I mean, there's nothing really load management can do. I mean, it it's effective, but when you do it right. In the end, these people love playing and that's why they're professionals I don't see why you just sit out unnecessarily and especially like Kemba though like straight up props to him the man came back after injury and scored 39 I don't think it's that bad also like, at the end of the day they want their main role is to just win and if they think it's easier to win by sitting out then what that's true but here's here's like my perspective on it let's take a player for example LeBron James Many think the MVP race is going to come down to Kawhi and LeBron James, amongst other finalists, of course. If a player like LeBron James, who seems like the perfect candidate for load management, is not load managing and is out there actually playing, and the fans are getting their money's worth in uh, having these players play, then what real excuse does a player like Kawhi Leonard, who is literally in the prime of his career, have? Right now, he has the chance to actually play in the regular season to an extent that he doesn't have to load manage because of his because of his age. But he doesn't even seem to have had an injury in a while, too. Like yeah, but I really don't feel like the players who care about uh, disappointing the fans by load managing really like I don't really think they care about it enough to play as such.
Like, right. you hear what I mean? They're like, they're load managing, like, for a reason. But if their main objective is to win, and if they see this as a way to help them do that, then what's the issue? I, I... Hey, then again, like, that goes back to Abhiru's point, like, maybe the sun is or something in mind. Then again, like, I to me, I just don't see it. I just see it as as him attempting to conserve some form of energy so that he can go on to stretches through the regular season. But I don't think a player like Kawhi Leonard should be doing that. Or Paul George, for that matter. But Kawhi doesn't have an active injury. That's the point. That's the that's the thing that kind of drives this home. Kawhi Leonard is not recovering from an injury. Kawhi Leonard does not have an active, active injury. He has no excuse to be load managing this early into the season when only roughly 20 games have been played. Or maybe not even that to some teams. For most teams, yes. And, like, honestly, I feel this whole load management thing is, like, pretty complicated unless you know what's going on in their mind. So, like, making right. a judgment is kind of difficult. Right. But as far as, from a fan's perspective, or from um, someone looking at the MVP race, from those angles, I think there the are certain conclusions that you had have to draw from it. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. But I really don't. I don't think they're going for MVP. They've they've got some. Yeah, some, not clearly. Yeah. yeah. So can we take a moment to appreciate Denver's second in the West? Congratulations, Denver. <laughs> well, and also the fact that the Lakers and Celtics are sitting um at top the table for the first time in like forever. So, I don't know there are some teams that are really showing out, and some teams like Portland who clearly aren't doing what we expect them to do. It's a, I don't think the league is in any way what fans thought it was going to be before the season started. There are only some teams who are actually playing like the way we, we'd expect them to. But even even the oddballs like Houston or Los Angeles and stuff, there are so many teams that are just straight up surprising in where they're standing right now. Yeah, like the so, Timberwolves and the Suns are just showing out. Like yeah, on the Suns, oh my God! Very, without very... DeAndre Ayton, what's gonna happen when that man comes back? Nah, I really don't think he's that effective. Really, the dude's like pretty solid on the defensive end, but clearly the Suns seem to be doing quite quite a good job without him. So yeah, maybe he isn't. Another player, by the way, who he's, who seems to like be showing that we might have hyped him a little too much is Draymond Green. My God, that man is just. He's absolutely terrible. And there's no other way to slice it. Like, I know that, um, of course, Steph and Clay and stuff aren't there. But when when you're someone who we called an all-star and someone who clearly is supposed to be considered one of the best defensive, if not like one of the top players in the league, how are you going to go out in games and score like, what was it? I don't know. It was less than 10 for sure in one of his games. Like, I, And his shooting is just terrible. It's 2 out of 7, 1 out of 7. Stuff like that. I think the only good game he had was against Cleveland or something, but I'm not sure about that. But Draymond is just straight up terrible. So I saw someone put up a poll on their story, okay, about um, whether they think Steve Kerr is a good coach. And um, he said vote if you think he's a good coach or not because of how and 60% voted against the fact. Against the fact that he is? It's his fault. Was that 60 or 16? Zero. 
Yeah, I think he just got blessed with a whole bunch of star players, to be very honest. But then again, like, I know it's a really like thin line because there are the games that Golden State has won, where Steve Kerr has kind of influentially helped draw up a play. But at the same time, like most of the games that Golden State used to win, at least, was because of players like Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Kevin Durant, all who aren't in Golden State anymore, and. You know, obviously the main stars they have. They just, I guess when you just have that good basketball IQ, you can't really look at the coach. But at the same time, like, Steve Kerr is someone who you just, you don't feel like saying he isn't a good coach. You know what I mean? Who do you think is the best coach? That's tough. Greg Popovich, for sure. I I don't even care about the fact that the Spurs have gone on an eight-game losing streak. Greg Popovich all the way. I don't know, I feel the fact that, like, the style of play shelters their original talent. Like, look at Leonard. Dude, as soon as he left, he became a god. True, but I think that Leonard would have become a god, like, the very next year in San Antonio, provided he didn't go down to Zaza. Like, that series, Kawhi Leonard, like, for that first game, and even, like, the series before that, Kawhi Leonard was playing at similar levels. I feel like you was just about to enter his prime in San Antonio before that injury happened and if he stayed in he would have the same effectiveness as before. Alright, so here's my take on the rookie class, the rookie class guys. The rookie class but I see a large number of good rookies. Williamson isn't back yet too. Of course, Williamson barring Williamson, right? I There's so many good players now like Jamaran, um, Hero and a whole bunch of others, right? Kendrick Nunn. Kendrick Nunn, yeah. Surprises like even um, Pascal on the Warriors are just really playing well. But the thing is, do you actually see someone as a future All-Star barring maybe like Jamarat? The thing is, dude, Williamson was a talent like we haven't seen in a while, right? And And the fact that he's out, I feel it kind of puts a damper on the whole rookie situation. Like, the so much hype died, like so much. Now we kind of just have to like stick to Murat and how he's balling out or something like that. But the thing is, if Zion was in the league, I'm sure it would have been great for the Pelicans who actually are such a big bag. Like the Pelicans right now are getting blown out by some teams and coming so close to winning like the game with the Lakers. Like you can't, you can't even tell. And they don't even have Zion Williamson on the court. So... Who knows, like, the Pelicans are a team to look out for the future, but all of us had expectations for the Pelicans going into the season, and then Zion got injured, which then meant that we just can't look at them anymore. But who do you guys think are the biggest disappointments of the rookie class so far? For me, it's quite clearly Cam Reddish. The man shooting about 20% and averaging around 5 points a game. He's just straight up like, he's not what we expected. And then again, we did see this coming when he was playing with you. He wasn't the most consistent of all players. But at the same time, I don't know, we expected something more than this. He's putting up numbers right now that you can literally call unsustainably bad. Like, there's no way he's going to keep shooting like this because otherwise he's just simply not putting his heart into it. But the thing is, like, 20% on um, on field goals and about... Uh, about 19 or uh, 20 again the same kind of number from three is kind of abysmal so you never know 
I think the exact numbers are about 30 and 30 from the field and 20 from three. The NBA and college are such such different leagues, and the fact that I feel he was already on a stacked Duke team raised the hype unnecessarily. I agree that most of these rookies hopefully do actually come out and start playing well, but so far, based on the expectations that were made, like the hype that was generated, who's a disappointment to you from the rookie class? Of course, other than Zion Williamson, because the guy couldn't stay not injured for a while. I don't know. I'm not really looking out for rookies like the same as, as I was last year because last year I had some crazy competent talent. I'm not looking at the at the, the same thing. I'm more appreciative of the MVP race right now, and I just hope that if this carries on for another twenty, maybe thirty games, we're gonna have so much fun watching them play. People in that race, I mean, Doncic, LeBron, like. They're having crazy seasons too. Like LeBron is defying all odds. The man should be in a wheelchair, but he's dropping <laughs> triple levels. Doncic is just balling out, dude. And now, guys, I just wanted to like talk about the NBA's proposed changes, right? So this primarily consists of two things, and the first is that the NBA is considering reducing the 82 game to 78 games, cutting it down by four. Is that enough? Is that just right? Or is that too much? Veer? I think it's alright. They can't mess around like they have to make it a proper change with and make sure that the way they're doing it. No, yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel I I mean honestly when I first heard about it, seventy eight games just seems like only four games less. I mean it can make a difference to the players, but I mean you have to start somewhere. I feel that's the good thing that they're reducing it, but the bad thing is I feel four games is not really gonna do anything. The fact that players have almost to play on consecutive days, I just feel it's too much. I ideally would have wanted maybe six to eight, but I, I could settle for four as well, I guess. The thing is ultimately it's all about the players and it's all about keeping them, you know, healthy and stuff. But at the same time it comes with the opportunity cost of those last four games, which means that players are gonna be if they want to, they're going to be load managing earlier. And that just overall means that less basketball for fans to watch. But ultimately, this was a necessary change. So I guess I'll take four games then. The second change that the NBA is trying to bring in is that they want to reseed some of the teams in such a way that the bottom teams still could fight to make it into the playoffs. I'm talking between the 7th and ninth seed. And two teams from the same conference can end up in the NBA final. What do you think about that? Here I think they're just messing around. The need to make such changes. The system is fine. Right? The thing about the NBA is like, I feel like every so often when viewership declines, the NBA does these kind of drastic things once every couple of decades to try getting viewership back up. Here's like logically what I think is going on. And Ariman, who isn't with us today, kind of agrees with me on this. The NBA, by making the two teams from the same conference eligible to fight in the finals, is basically reserving the best matchup for the finals, right? So they're reserving the best teams for the finals, right? Which then means that the two most competitive teams would go head-to-head in the finals, increasing viewership on its own, and also increasing the potential of games being increased in the finals. So the series, the chance of it going to six games and seven games goes up when you have two teams that are incredibly competitive, which then again could drive a viewership. But would you rather this thing happens 
or would you rather it just stays the way it is because ultimately you're going to see the same matchups and this just seems like an attempt to grant representation for the bottom teams who clearly don't seem to have a chance of winning the finals anyway there's no reason for them to mess around the system is perfectly fine doing this will only create more confusion i don't like it i feel the system is fine today but if they want to make it more interesting and gain more viewers then obviously do. so what i was saying is i agree with you for saying this whole thing is a pr this thing that i feel even they're trying to do it to increase the viewership but i just want to be entertained like i mean all star weekend is a small portion but i feel they could make more thing like reduce the amount of games by a lot each team should play each team i think probably one less time so that's like a lot of games reduced yeah so i feel in a situation like that you can input like a small tournament type thing just to like you know keep things interesting or something apart from the playoffs but otherwise yeah as we said this system is fine them probably no need to to tamper with it right so what what could come out of these changes that the nba is proposing is that kind of march madness tournament but for the lowest seeds 7th 8th 9th and so forth so that they battle to try getting into the playoffs as opposed to 7th and 8th just being granted access because then if a race comes down to the wire things like what happened in previous seasons to the 9th won't happen again like i remember there was once a race between denver and minnesota this gives a chance to the 9th seed it incentivizes tank and yes you do get a mini tournament with these three seeds but realistically they don't have a chance of finals and it's not college basketball where there can be huge like winning against the number 1 seed when you're the number one, number 8 seed seven times i mean four times of course but in a seven makes no sense i think with that we come to the end of this episode from me veer aryan goodbye abiru Goodbye. Do follow us on Instagram at lap.podcast. Subscribe to us on YouTube, like, comment, share, do all that fun stuff and yeah, we'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Make sure to leave your requests if you do have any.